Welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations on Predators in Business, Community, and Culture, a podcast exploring the real-life stories of predatory patterns in our everyday lives, with episodes ranging from well-meaning white people to CPTSD and high achievers' anxiety in a world that has a fetish for peak performance. My name is Guru Nishan. I'm a disruptor of cultural indoctrination and actively support the dismantling of false identity by curating uncomfortable conversations on taboo topics hiding in plain sight. I stand committed to breaking codes of silence, shame, and secrecy in our own families, communities, companies, and cultures, but mostly within our own bodies. All right, folks, I want to welcome you back to another episode of our podcast, and I have a wonderful guest with me today. Her name is Alicia Barlow. Uh, She is a survivor of child sexual abuse at the hands of her maternal grandfather. The abuse started as early as she can remember and lasted until her teenage years. At age six, she told her aunt uh, what her grandfather was doing. Her aunt said that it was wrong and promised the abuse would stop. Her aunt then told Alicia's mother and other sister, and together they confronted their father. He admitted to the abuse and said the devil made him do it. He told them he could not go to jail as he knows what they do to child abusers in jail. He threatened to kill himself if they told the police. They then told Alicia to keep the abuse a secret from her father as her father would harm her grandfather, but promised the abuse would stop. She was still brought around him, and unfortunately, the abuse continued. It took her 20 years to tell her father, but the moment she told told him she had an immediate weight lifted off her shoulder that she wanted all survivors to feel. Thus, she started the movement, Tell Somebody. I met Alicia Barlow on social media because she has a movement called the Tell Somebody Movement, and I'm utterly inspired by uh, what I witnessed and the stories that I've read. And then hearing your bio brought a new level of inspiration and awareness to um, your personal experience. And I just want to say thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, I've witnessed your work a little bit from afar, um, engaged with even some of the stories that you've put forth. And um, as a survivor, um, and of incestuous abuse from the family. And, and it's a different type of abuse that I'd really like you to speak to a little bit when abuse is happening and yet when it happens within the, the family dynamic. Um, so I would love for you to just start by speaking to the movement um, and the work you created and then maybe rewind and kind of tell us a little bit about your story. Okay, yeah. So basically um, to start it off, I'm a survivor of child abuse at the hands of my grandfather, my mother's father. And I um, I just didn't know about how serious the topic of molestation was. Again, when you're molested by a family member, a close friend, you don't even understand how wrong it is, especially if nobody taught you about your body. Growing up in high school, D.A.R.E. comes and they teach you about drugs. Even in sex ed, they teach you, you know, your body parts, but they never teach you that no one's supposed to touch you there, especially family members. So I never knew that it was wrong. And when I was in my 20s, I actually read a survivor's book that said the average child molester was a middle-aged white man college educated, married, and religious. 
that was my grandfather. So I grew up believing that only white men molested. I'm half black. My father is black. So I grew up believing, you know, oh, no, not the black people. Like, we're not doing nasty stuff like that. You know, it's just white people. And so it wasn't until I started to tell somebody where I shared my story for the first time on social media. And I woke up the next morning with over, you know, 100,000 shares and 30,000 comments and 50,000 messages in my inbox from strangers and people I knew and went to school with telling me that it also happened to them. And so growing up, I always thought it was just me. And it wasn't until my late 20s that I started to tell somebody that I realized not only is it not me, it's thousands of millions and it happens in every race, every religion, every culture, every part of the world. And so a lot of people say to me, you know, I'm so sorry that the abuse happened to you. And I tell people, I'm sorry it happened too, but I'm glad that I'm able to bring awareness because I can't bring awareness to gambling because I don't have a gambling problem, you know, but I was abused so I can bring awareness to abuse. So I'm actually grateful that I'm able to do something like this. Yeah, to be able to channel that experience and that silencing um, and that family dynamic and even what you spoke to around your conception of the molester, right? The white, that middle-aged man, that, that what that's so interesting. And so your concept of it was linked to, like you were aware at some point after you had told, because six years old is young. You tell mm-hmm. your aunt and your aunt and to not to be believed but then to have it continue is an added level of trauma within a family dynamic of, yeah. of trust i'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that uh yeah definitely like i said i'm open to talk about everything um when i was younger my mother and father used to drop me off at my grandparents house to be babysat you know uh, they lived about 10 minutes away So if it was summer vacation, spring break, if my parents just wanted a break or wanted a date, they would just drop me and my younger brother off at my grandparents' house. And with my grandfather, it first started off with tickling. He used to tickle me under my arms. And eventually he moved to my private areas. I never told him to stop because I didn't know that it was wrong. So once he saw that I wasn't stopping him, he knew that was the green light to continue. So he would wait until my grandmother would leave to go to the grocery store or to go on a walk. And that's when he would abuse me. He would take me into a different room of his house. He would touch my body. He would show me porn magazines. He would tell me that people who loved each other did these kind of things. So yeah, imagine that being shown a magazine of people doing sexually explicit things and then your grandfather who you love tells you this is what family members do so I did it and even though I felt uncomfortable every time it was still that trust I still believed him so yes when I was six years old it had been going on for a long time you know I was so young I don't remember when it started yeah for you to say as early as you can remember so we're talking about really young and and yeah really young and I want listeners to hear that because abuse can start as infants right we're talking about like what you're talking about you're talking about with a you know you're on your the you're talking about your mother's side you said your mother's side was white so white grandparents right you're going to your grandma and grandparents house Mm -hmm. and 
that adds an interesting level of dynamic to why they didn't want to tell your dad, like in terms of, it's not just that he was going to beat him up. It's, there's a whole, there's a whole other culture and race dynamic to that. Yeah. Yeah. They actually brought racism into it. Um, because when I told my aunt, I was in the car with my aunt, uh, my grandfather, he was very rich. I didn't realize how rich he was until I got older. Um, I still don't know exactly how much he had, but growing up, Not only did he always have his house, but he had two or three other houses, getaway homes by lake. He also owned boats. He also would buy a car brand new off the lot, drive it for a year, and then give it to one of his daughters. He also used to bribe me. Every time I saw him, he would slip me a $20 bill. Do you know how much $20 is to a six-year-old 20, 30 years ago? Like, you know? Um, Barbie dream house for Christmas, $300 with the working elevator. I got that, you know, super Nintendo with 50 games. I got that. So I didn't realize until I was an adult that he was bribing me to be quiet. So, um, at six years old, my family was taking a vacation to his lake house. We were going to be spending the weekend there. So I was in the car with my aunt driving there and out of nowhere, I just blurted out is it okay for people to touch your private areas? Because Opa, which is Dutch for grandfather, my family, they're not just white, they're Dutch. They come from Holland. Um, I said, is it okay for Opa to touch me in my private areas? Because he does that a lot. And my aunt got quiet and she said, no, that's not okay. But I'm going to talk to your mom and I'm going to make sure that it stops. So I said, okay. So she actually... um, pulled over and used a payphone because my family was already at the lake house. And she actually called my mom and told my mom what I had told her. And she said that when they arrived at the lake house, they wanted to have a group discussion. So when me and my aunt finally arrived there, I was scared out of my mind because my grandfather told me to keep it a secret. He told me, don't tell anybody. So now it's like I've told somebody, mm. is my grandfather going to kill me? You know, when I pull up, is he going to be angry with me? So I was scared. And as soon as we pulled up, I took off running upstairs and I hid under a blanket in a bed. And I watched my aunt grab my mother, her other sister, and their father. And they all left and started walking down the hill. So it was just me and my younger brother and my grandma inside of this house. And I was peeking and looking at them through the window. And, you know, they kept walking until they were out of my sight. And I don't know how long they were gone for. You know, for me, it seemed like hours. And as they were coming back up, all I thought was, okay, now my grandfather is going to be mad at me. You know, like he's going to be angry. He's going to be looking at me, scowling at me, you know, the whole time. And we're here for like four days. Like, what did I do? I was so freaked out. And when they came back inside, they were all laughing and giggling. And I was so confused. And nobody one time, pulled me to the side and acknowledged anything. So I went the whole weekend, you know, with all these emotions again as a six-year-old. And it wasn't until we got home that my mother pulled me into a room and said, listen, your aunt Linda told me what happened. We confronted my father. He said that, yes, he did abuse you, but that the devil made him do it. 
that his own wife hasn't had intercourse with him in eight years. So that's why he did it. But for them not to tell the police because he knows what child molesters, what happens to them in jail. And he said he would kill himself before he goes to jail. And then my mom told me, and please don't tell your dad because your dad is going to kill him. And then your dad's going to go to jail. So they put all that guilt on, on a you, on a child. And it's like, don't tell your angry black father because wow. he's going to turn into the Hulk and kill your old white frail grandfather. Mm. So at six years old, I didn't tell. And my mom told me that he promised he would stop. Um, my aunt, the one that I initially told, she was heavy into Christianity at the moment. She had just like found God. And she said that she gave him a Bible and told him that whenever he gets the urges, he needs to read the Bible every day. And that was the end of it. And I was still brought around him. Um, he was still able to pick me up after school and bring me to his house. I was still dropped off for vacations and the abuse continued for years and years and years and years. And I never told again because I felt at that young age that when I told the first time, not only was there such a big commotion, but a quiet commotion, so many emotions, but we had to be quiet. So I felt like nothing would be done again, even if I did say something. That that quieting and then the burden got placed on on you, right? So you had mm -hmm. A to go all weekend with no actual addressing it in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, that roller coaster is real and the distortion that happens inside a child, right? Inside of you. Mm -hmm to then make sense of what to do next. Of course, you're not going to speak out loud again. That didn't go anywhere. And then even if your father is that safety zone, you just, like you said, got the twist around almost like a, a form of gaslighting. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. don't tell your dad because then he's going to do this. So it's telling a narrative um, that makes it your fault if any of that happens. So if I ever tell, it's my fault that the family is broken up and that people are dead or in jail. Yes, or get, yeah. like you said, the angry Black man. Wow, that is just so mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. Um, it also lends me, an interesting isn't the right word, folks, but I'm just, I'm, I'm speaking to the complexity of, of the dynamic at play. Um, I also want to say that, your aunt and mom, I mean, they must have been abused. There's that's what comes to mind immediately for me, you know, especially mm -hmm. the power play that he played on them, talking mm -hmm. about his wealth. So using money that bribing is one name, but grooming is another name, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And the granddaughter gets it, but the the three daughters somehow have a dynamic at play. Anyway, I'm, I'm wondering if yeah, it came yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, it did actually. Um, so growing up, I felt ugly. I felt insecure. I felt like I didn't belong. I was a class clown, always acting out, trying to be funny because I was going through so much pain. Um, I couldn't look boys in their eyes for more than two seconds before having to turn my head. And it was just, I was walking around in an empty shell. I was empty inside. You know, I was broken inside. And I actually used to curse God out. I actually used to come to my room and look in the mirror at myself 
And then I would look up in the sky and I would say, F you, God, why is my life so messed up? You know, why do I have a dysfunctional family, but all my friends are happy? All my friends are smiling. All my friends have regular families. Like, why am I here? And I used to curse him out all the time until I got older and found him. Um, but yes, um, it took me 20 years to tell my dad and how it even all came about was my mom and dad have been married for 30 years. And in 2014, she told my dad that she wanted to get a divorce. She said that she met a new man and she just didn't want to be in a relationship with him anymore. So she left and she moved out. And so here I am, you know, for these 30 years holding this secret in to hold my family together. And here you go, just breaking the family apart, you know, like, like what's going on. And um, well, let me just finish by saying that not only did the abuse continue, um, after I turned 13, the sexual abuse stopped, but now it was um, verbal abuse. So now it was, oh yeah, Alicia, remember you told me that when you were, when you turned 18, me and you can have sex. This is what my grandfather is telling me and um, exposing himself. Um, I remember being places like on his boat with all my family members, but they're in the back of the boat. And I glanced over and my grandfather, you know, has his private part hanging out of his pants. He used to do that all the time, you know, just so I could see, but nobody else could see. Um, so uh, oh, when I'm I so turned disgusted. 20, I know, I know, so I know. Sorry. I know it's and, okay. And, well, and I just want to say it out loud. It's it, again, listeners, like when this dynamic is happening in your family, right? And we kind of look yeah. outward and we think other families are normal because it's not talked about and it is this yeah. secrecy culture that's linked to all this. Yeah, keep going. Right. Uh, when I turned 20, my grandfather actually caught a rare lung disease that they don't have a cure for, and it actually was hardening up his lungs. So, you know, for me, I was like, oh, thank God, you know, and I always went my whole life believing that the moment my grandfather died, I would finally have peace. I would finally have the burden lifted off me. I'd finally have the weight lifted off me. And then he died and all of it was still there. Mm. And I was just like, wow, um, growing up, even seeing how he was grooming and bribing people, I thought that when he passed away, he would leave me some money so to say, for keeping my secret, you know? And yes, when he passed away, he didn't leave me anything. So it was almost like, wow, like they really didn't care about me, but I wasn't able to process that yet. And when I was uh, 2014, I was 28, my mom wanted to divorce my dad. And um, so she moved out and I was actually living um, at home with my mom and dad at the time. I had just moved back home because I was having problems where I was just living at. And I actually used to pray to God, why am I back at my parents' house? Like, you know, I'm 28. I have a four-year-old. Like, this is not where I want to be. Like, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? And I kept praying that, kept praying that. And then my mom said she wanted a divorce and she left. And so from there... I actually talked to my cousin on the phone and for seven days straight, I kept saying, I want to tell my dad that I was abused, but I don't know how. And I told my cousin that every day for seven days, but she's not a survivor of abuse. So she didn't really have any words to give me. On the seventh day, 
I walked into my dad's house and he said, Alicia, your younger brother, who's four years younger than me, called me today and told me that he was sexually abused by your grandfather when he was younger. So I want to know, did it happen to you? And when he said that, tears just started streaming down my face. And it wasn't even me. It was like the Holy Ghost, how they say, like, something like overtook me. And I just got the feeling of like, okay, now it's your turn. You've been saying for seven days straight, how do you tell your dad? How do you tell your dad? Well, here you go. And so I broke down crying and I told him that, yes, I was molested when I was younger by my grandfather. And I told him how my mom and her sisters knew. So that like really blew up. You know, he's like, what do you mean your mom and her sisters knew and kept that a secret? And so even though me and my dad cried together, it actually made us stronger. Our relationship got stronger. We bonded more. And um, he said, oh, no, Elise, you need to call them right now. You need to confront them. And I actually wasn't that upset anymore that it happened to me. You know, when you go through something and then time goes by, how they say time heals wounds, I wasn't as angry as I probably should have been. But when I found out it happened to my little brother, that enraged me because this whole time I thought it was just me, just me, just me. So to know that it now also happened to my younger brother infuriated me because had my mom and her sisters, maybe they didn't want to send their dad to jail, but had they stopped me from going over there, had they made sure my grandma or someone was always around, they could have prevented it from happening to my younger brother. But because they didn't stop it, now it happened to him. So I was furious. So I called my mom. That was the first person I called. And I said, oh, how dare you? Like, you let me get abused. You let my little brother get abused. And my mom said, it's been so long. What do you want me to do about it? And like, she hung up the phone. I called uh, one of my aunts and I said, I can't believe you guys fed me to the wolf like that. She hung up in my face. She didn't even want to talk to me. And what hurt me the most was calling my last aunt, the third aunt, um, and her telling me, it happened to me too, get over it, and hung up in my face. There you know, is. I trusted her more than I trusted my own mother because she's who I initially went to. And she said, it happened to us too, get over it, and hung up in my face. And I was sitting there just astounded. I had been keeping this secret for these people this whole time thinking this is my family, they love me, I'm protecting them. And they showed me right there that they never even cared about me. Mm. It happened to me to get over it. Oh, it's like metallic in my mouth. It's so disturbing. Yeah. And, and, and here you are telling me to get over it when obviously you never healed from your trauma You've never gotten over yours. So how can you even fix your lips to say that? Well, her complicit. Most, she's become complicit, become complicit in abuse. Yeah. abuse. And so did your mom. Like, that's what led me to say there's no way those three weren't abused if they yeah. were able to get gaslit in that. Because that dynamic, the father-daughter dynamic, yeah. the way that silence, the way they were giggling, the payoff, the money, and mm-hmm. also the added family dynamic. Um, and I don't know your family, but you did mention it, that they're Dutch and they have money. 
the dynamic when there's inheritance, right? And how there's mm-hmm. so much breeding control to keep people silent um, yeah. because of this kind of manipulative money dynamic of inheritance. Yeah, yeah. So then you start to think back like, okay, so if my grandfather was paying them off, did they know he was abusing me? Did they drop me off knowing like, okay, she's going to be sexually abused every time we drop her off, but I know my dad's going to kick me down 10,000 or buy me a new car. Um, The house that we moved into, I told at age six, at age seven, we moved from Foster City to Fairfield, which is another city. And my grandfather gave my mom $50,000 cash for the down deposit for our house. And growing up, my dad used to always tell me, oh, yeah, you know, your grandfather gave you about 50000 for us to get into this house. And I didn't realize it until I was older. Maybe that was hush money. Maybe that was part of the bribe. And that hurts. That hurts to know that your mom would have something to do with that. But like you said, it's about the dynamic. And um, I talked to my mom and her sisters. I actually have a episode on YouTube where my mom and one of her sisters let me interview them. Wow. And they told me that not only were they three plus their two cousins molested by their grandfather, which is their dad's dad, yeah. but that they came to their parents when they were younger and their parents told them to keep it a secret and to don't tell their grandmother and their yeah. abuse continued so they did to me what was done to them yes the legacy of incestuous abuse is so much more common than we're led to believe and that we want to believe right we want to believe that our families are healthy dynamics um and there's so much societal pressure and family pressure and religious pressure and name the pressures of that silent culture of like, oh, let's not, you can't taint the family name. That's mm-hmm. sometimes the thing. In this case, he was, he sounds like a narcissist that basically made it all about him. And I can't go to jail because X and X. And there, he obviously spun around his own daughters. And it just sounds like that's just been a, a, a passed down behavior trait which once again is not uncommon in families, but it's horribly right. disgusting and it how it gets put onto you. And then it's not just you, it's your brother too. And I'm wondering what did your father do in, after finding all this out? Oh, he was so furious. So he said, Alicia, you're going to go on Facebook right now and you're going to make a video and you're going to show the world your family. You're going to put a picture up of your mom, your aunt, your grandfather, because when your mom and aunt are walking down the street, I want people to yell out, hey, that's that woman that let her niece or her daughter get abused. And I said, you want me to put a picture of my family on social media? I can't do that. He said, why not? I said, I can't throw my family under the bus. He said, Alicia, I'm sorry to tell you, but family doesn't turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to you when you need help. Mm. And I was like, that was the first time in my life that I looked at it from that view. That was the first time that I thought, wow, they did turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to me. Maybe that's not my family. 
So that's when I made the video and I put it on my social media. I told everyone the story. I showed a picture of my family and I logged out because I was too scared to see the reaction. How many times do you go on Facebook or Instagram and scroll down your timeline and see somebody sharing a story about them being sexually abused by a family member? It's right. rare. rare. I never see it. And that's why I always thought that I was by myself. So to post something like that and already not see stuff like that, I didn't know what to think. And then the next day, my dad said, how'd the video go? And I was like, I don't know. And that's when I logged on and saw, you know, like I said, the 100,000 shares, the 500,000 views, the 50,000 comments and messages. And I was blown back. I just could not believe that it was just that many people and so many people. And I will say that my mother and her aunt did tell me that not only were they molested by their grandfather, but that they vaguely remember being molested by their own father. So a lot of times I can't come to grips with the fact that if you were molested by your own dad, why would you trust your kids with him? You know, um, I can't get over the fact that how does a child, not even just a child, but how does your daughter, how does your niece come to you and tell you that they're being sexually abused and you never talk about it again? How do you sleep at night? I always think about that. I couldn't imagine someone coming to me and telling me that and every night I'm going to sleep fine. That would be on my mind every day, every night. And even though I was still brought around my grandfather, my mom and her two sisters never asked me any more questions. They never said, is it continuing? Is it still happening? What did you guys do this time? Did he make you feel uncomfortable? They never asked anything again. And they said it's because they believed when he said he would stop, that he would stop. Which, you know, is such garbage because they obviously knew they had abused and they were a part of silencing it. What is complex about being a trauma survivor, and I'll just say that out loud, is that we absolutely can go in and out of states of our own disassociation. And disassociation can last for decades. So we can actually not remember whole segments of things yeah. for our own convenience. We think it's convenient. It doesn't make any sense to any other person. But the, the real states of, of fragmentation internally, and from what I'm hearing you say, it sounds like your aunt and your mother were in heavy states of fragmentation. Um, yeah. To be able to even be able to do that, like you're saying, to even be able to never bring it up again, never check back in with the child. You know, immediately I, I was like, those three must have been abused. There's no way they yeah. couldn't have because you can't keep silent after that if it hadn't happened to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I uh, recently, well, a couple years ago, uh, the Dr. Phil show, they saw what I was doing and they reached out to me, but my mm -hmm. mother said she didn't want to go on that show because she said that she knew Dr. Phil was going to, you know, give it to her. And it happened so long ago. There's a lot of things she said she doesn't remember. So she didn't want to go on TV looking stupid. Um, so a couple years later, um, I don't know if you know who Iyanla is, Iyanla Van Zandt. She's a life coach, and she has a show called Fix My Life, and it's on the Oprah Winfrey Network, and she helps dysfunctional families. So they actually reached out to me, 
And my mother said she had to think about it. But when I reassured her that Iyanla is a life coach who's more into healing than to making you look stupid, she agreed to go on the show. And one of my aunts did, but not the aunt that I initially told, the one that told me to get over it. She refused. She Mm. refused. Yes. So uh, me and my mom and my aunt went on the show and my mom, it's on YouTube, actually, too. If you type in Alicia Barlow, um, Fix My Life, uh, there's a couple clips on there. And there's a really good clip where my mom has Ianla. My Ianla has my mom making oatmeal in the kitchen. And then the doorbell rings and Ianla tells my mom to go open it. While my mom leaves, Ianla adds more oatmeal and turns up the heat. So when my mom comes back, now the oatmeal is, you know, overflowing. And my mom's like, whoa, like I didn't know it was cooking so fast. And then my mom's just stirring it like nothing. You know, she didn't turn the heat down. And then the doorbell rings again. And then my mom goes again and Ianla puts some more. And so by the time my mom comes back, it's like overflowing out the pot and it's burning. And my mom just turns it off and like adds some sugar to it. And she's like, all right, I guess it's done. And Ianla basically used that exercise to tell her that as a mother, she wasn't present, just like how she's not present in that situation, just like how the oatmeal is a catastrophe, but she feels she can bandage it up by just throwing some sugar in there. That's what she did to me and my brother in our childhood. She wasn't present and she felt like she could bandage the little bit with just being quiet and not saying anything. So I really appreciated the exercise because it opened up my mom's eyes and my eyes to the fact that my mom and her sisters weren't strong enough to break the generational curse in their family, whether it was because of money or whether it was because they were survivors themselves and they had been gaslit and went through their own trauma that they never healed from. They weren't strong enough to break the cycle. But I was. And so that's what I just really love about what I'm doing is because my mom and her sisters and my dead grandfather, they would have never thought. They would have never thought that I would have took that situation and turned it into this, you know, turned it into tell somebody, helping millions of people every day. Like they would have never thought. So again, when people say, I'm sorry it happened, I'm sorry it happened too, but I'm glad that I'm able to bring awareness because had my mom did the right thing and told and and ended the abuse, I may not be bringing awareness to it today. Yeah, and, and I just think you're late, you're adding such a multiplicity, like a, a duplicity of, of, of uh, like layers to this in, in such brilliant fashion in that, um, you know, no matter what was going on for them, you know, to not be present for a child when this abuse is happening, you know, that's a part of their own reconciliation and healing, right? Mm -hmm. And yet that has nothing to do with your capacity. That's the thing, right? right? You expressed yourself, you reached out, you know, with the encouragement of your father, you spoke out. um, And and just hearing that you were on uh, Ayana Van Zandt's the fix your life program is so cool to hear because again, it's bringing these complex dynamics and talking about things that we almost just don't even have muscles for. We don't Mm -hmm. even like, we can know these dynamics aren't right. And we don't even know how to bring it up. And so how you have created a movement around tell somebody and the irony of 
you did tell somebody. Yeah, I did tell somebody. Yes, and the power of that, that listen to that, folks, that, you know, at six years old, Alicia tells somebody. But because, as you just spoke to, a numerous reasons of why those people didn't do, quote, what they needed to do, whatever that meant, you know, keep you safe is what they needed to do. And they might not even had language for what safe is because they also came from a perpetrator family environment. So the way I've described this as a survivor of familiar abuse, and, and my dad also sexually abused me from a, 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 chi- a baby age, pre, pre-verbal, it's so confusing when you're abused pre-verbally because love and abuse gets commingled in your memory body, in your nervous mm-hmm. system, and you don't even know that love and abuse is commingled. It's just kind of like, that's just the way it is. And Mm. so for when you describe the dynamic where your dad kind of pierced that veil to say, Alicia, no, no. People who love you do X, they do not do X. And that unbreaks this commingling of love and abuse to say, oh, really? You mean I can expect more? Yeah, yeah. So my message is to tell somebody but to keep telling until something is done. Because yes. yes, I told, but had I told my dad instead of my aunt at age six, it would have never continued. Mm. So that's why I guess I got to show you my yes. children's book. Exactly. Because, Tell us uh, all about so, it. Well, um, you know, when I first started Tell Somebody, um, after I shared my story, um, I had a weight lifted off my shoulders. I went and bought my dad, me and my daughter, a shirt that said, tell somebody. It was just symbolic just for us. Um, it made me just feel like once I told, I had a weight lifted off my shoulders. So I just got us free a shirt and I took a picture together and I posted it. And I just told people like, tell somebody, you know, tell your parent. If you have a parent that doesn't know, tell them. Because once I did, that's what made my life better. And again, the next day I woke up and that picture had, again, you know, 20,000 shares, 30,000 comments, 50,000 messages. And people say, well, where where can I get that shirt? Where can I get that shirt? And I was like, what do you mean? Where can you get this shirt? Like, I thought this was just symbolic for just me and what I went through. So now you're telling me that this message resonates with you guys. And so, yeah, right then and there, I went and got a website, tell somebody today. Not next week, not next year. Tell somebody today.com. And I got tell somebody t-shirts and people were buying them left and right, left and right. And sending me pictures of them wearing it. And I was like, wow, like this is crazy. Like it was really overwhelming. And then someone reached out to me and asked me, did I want to make a children's book? And I was like, yes, I do. Because selling shirts is not, you know, what I want to be doing. That's one part of it, just because that's helping you guys heal. But that wasn't like why I wanted to start telling somebody. I wanted to bring awareness and help children. So when um, uh, someone reached out to me, I was like, oh, yeah, children's book, I have to do. So, yes, it's called Tell Somebody. Uh, This is me and my daughter on the back. And she actually helped me start Tell Somebody. Uh, She has a blue headband on. So they actually turned the... that into her so they made us uh, in the book together um so i let children know that they have four private areas their mouth their chest 
and the front and back where they go to the bathroom and no one's supposed to touch you there. And then the rest of the book are all just scenarios that kids can be in that they don't know is abuse. Like when my grandfather tickled me, I didn't know that was sexual abuse. So if you're in the shower and someone's watching you, you know, that's not okay. Ask them to leave and tell somebody. Um, If you are having a sleepover and you're at a friend's house or a family member's house and you wake up and someone's, you know, touching you, ask them to stop and go tell somebody, you know, um, if somebody is trying to take pictures of you naked, you know, or with no clothes on or in your underwear, that's not okay. Tell somebody. And if somebody gives you gifts and asks you not to tell your parents, you still need to tell somebody because that's part of the grooming process. I'm not going to tell on him. He gives me candy and money every time I see him. So um, I'm just really, really proud of this book. Um, I'm actually able to go to different schools and put this on the projector and, you know, um, teach a whole school within three hours about this. Um, I'm just sad because it's such a taboo topic that a lot of the schools that I've went to gave me the runaround. They tell me to go to the school district. Then I'll go to the school district. They'll tell me to go to the school. You know, it's just back and forth. Uh, They tell me they already have programs like this or that their teachers are already educated on things like that. When I know that's not the truth. Mm -hmm. I know that teachers, uh, because I used to be a preschool teacher, are mandated reporters. So I feel like schools aren't equipped to handle if, students are always coming to them with claims of sexual abuse because now they have to report it. They have to get CPS involved. Maybe they're scared of retaliation of the parents because they started the process. Um, So wherever I can share my book, um, you know, how I've been getting to people through social media. Like you said, you met me on social media. So if I can't get into the schools, then I'll go to the parents directly. And, you know, um, what I'm doing now, which I've been doing, but I'm recording it now uh, on my social media, is I am giving these books away for free. So on my social media, they now have a subscribe button. So when you subscribe to my page, it's $4.99 a month. But you're $4.99 by the Tell Somebody Children's Book. And now every weekend I go to different stores, Walmart, Target, Barnes and Noble, Chuck E. Cheese, an ice cream place. I just pick a different place every week and I bring 20, 30, 40, however many books I have with me. And every family that I see that has children, I just give them a book. I don't tell them exactly what it's about um, because some child abusers are the dad, for example, just like in your situation. So if I'm coming up to you in a store with, hey, I have a book on how to teach your children to protect themselves against child molesters, your dad might not want you to have this book. Your dad might not want you to read it. So I just go up to people and say, I'm a best-selling author and I have a children's book and I give it away for free and I just give it to the family and then I just walk away. And um, it's just really touching to know that um, people always ask me, well, why should I share my story? What's that going to do? You know, sometimes they even say with the attitude, well, let me tell you what sharing my story did. Sharing my story helped my healing process. It even helped my mother and aunt's healing process because they were forced 
to confront the issues that they've always been sweeping under the rug. It's helped children. Um, I help adults every day. I share a different survivor story every day. A, a different adult sends me a picture of them holding a sign that says, tell somebody, and they include their story of abuse. So now when you thought you were alone, now you can come to my page and read the 20, 30,000 other survivor stories. And so not only am I able to affect little kids, I'm able to affect the older adult survivors. I'm able to affect white people, black people, Asians, like I'm able to affect everybody, you know, just with sharing my story. And some people will say to me, oh, well, you know, if I share my story and it only helps one person, well, what's that going to do? Helping one person is better than nothing. You know, uh, people try to compare themselves to me sometimes. Well, you're helping so many people. Like, I could never do that. You're helping who needs to be helped. You know, um, I went to Target the other day and I gave a book to a family and the mom wrote me later that night. She came and found me on Instagram. She didn't tell me her son was abused, but she just said, I wanted to thank you for giving me this book because we were trying to teach our five-year-old son about his body, but we didn't know how to go about doing it. So you gave it to us in the perfect timing. So that's what I try to tell people is it doesn't matter if one person's listening to your podcast or a million who's ever supposed to be listening to it, whoever needs that message from you, that's who's going to be there, you know? So whether it's one person or a thousand, like you're doing something. And a month after I started Tell Somebody, my dad actually died. Not only did my mother and her sisters disown me, like they changed their phone numbers, they blocked me on social media, but um, so it was just me and my dad and my daughter. Then I got a knock at the door and it was the police telling me my dad had just gotten a car accident and hit a tree only five miles from my house and he died instantly. And I was just like, oh, this has to be a prank. Like you're tricking me. And he was like, no, I'm sorry. This is the hardest part of my job. So I got in my car and I drove to where they said he crashed. And yeah, there was just remnants of his car in the street, but his car was gone and he was gone. And I could still feel like his spirit and his presence like his energy at the crash site and I was just sitting there like oh my gosh like what just happened so now it's just me now by myself and me and my mother and aunt didn't talk for a couple months later after that we didn't go on the Yonga show till like two or three years after all this happened um, with the confrontation and stuff so um I just get a lot of peace knowing that number one, he died instantly because he hit a tree, you know, there was no pain, but my dad was always telling me he was ready to go. Um, he was like, whenever the good Lord calls me home, like I'm ready to go. So I feel like God kept him here just long enough for him to help me start my purpose in life. So all those times I was praying and saying, God, why am I living here with my parents? What am I doing here? What's my mm. purpose in life? That's what it was. He gave me a year to spend time with my dad because my dad was going to pass away after that. And had my dad maybe called me while I was living in another state, maybe I wouldn't have admitted my abuse. But because I lived with him and we were in person, like it had to come out. So I really honestly feel like, you know, he was here long enough to help me start my movement. And, you know, it gets really deep. I buried my dad in a tell somebody shirt in Louisiana. Not only did my white family disown me, but now my black family 
is talking about me at the funeral. They're zipping up my dad's jacket because number one in Louisiana, you bury someone in a three-piece suit. So now I've embarrassed my whole family and tell somebody this is not the time and place for it. Mm. That's what they're telling me. This is my dad's funeral. Like I'm going to dress him how I want to dress him. And if he were to know how far in life I've gone, how far I've taken the message, tell somebody how many people I've had, he would be honored to wear this shirt. You know, like he's walking around heaven right now, proud. People are asking him like, what does tell somebody mean? And he's able to tell them, I helped my daughter start a platform to help other survivors speak up. My father was sexually abused by a preacher at his church when he was younger. And he only told me this when I told him my story of abuse. And I asked him, well, did you ever tell anybody? Because that's my question. And he said, no, because back then, not only did you not accuse a white man of doing something like that to you, if you're Black, because he's in the South, but that's also something you sweep under the rug. So because he said that, I know that molestation is also prevalent in his family. And that's why his brothers and sisters didn't like me down there with the message because they haven't healed. And before I left their house, my aunt, I found out, was zipping up my dad's jacket to hide the shirt from people at the funeral. And I told her how mad I was at her for doing that, how proud my dad would be. And she couldn't even look me in my face. She stayed looking at the TV the whole time. Before I left, I told her, you can stare at that TV, but one day you'll see me on that TV with my Tell Somebody movement. And I walked out. And yeah, a couple of years later, you know, here I am. They saw me on the on the show. I've been on the news, you know, a couple of times. I did this. I did that. I actually got the 2019 Impact Activist Award, and it was yes. presented to me by Tarana Burt, which is the Me Too founder. I actually got to March. Um, when the Me Too movement blew up, she had her first Me Too march in Hollywood. I was invited to not only speak, but I got to march right alongside with her. So my sign said, tell somebody it happened to Me Too. You know, like, that's what it is. So I always tell people, sometimes you got to be okay with being the Black sheep of the family. Again, my mom's family disowned me. My dad's side disowned me. But would I trade them? Would I get them back and throw the movement away? You know what I'm saying? No. And why? Because that's not my family. Because they wouldn't turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to me. So if you're about breaking generational curses, then it's time to speak up. That's right. That's so right. Yeah. Oh, uh, tingles. I know. So many tingles. <laughs> just... I know. Um, the tell somebody and then tell somebody else and tell somebody else until something changes. Love that message. Love it. Um, because as children, you tell somebody and if something doesn't change, you got to know you didn't tell the right person, tell somebody else. And I also loved the pictures in your book. Um, you know, so simple and yet different scenarios, because I think even in a lot of our own minds who have gone through abuse, and generational abuse, let's say, let's say there's legacy abuse in a, a lot of listeners' families, but we don't necessarily even know how to acknowledge it because nobody's talked about it, right? Um, mm-hmm. So somebody brings something up and, and we don't know why we end up freezing. 
right? And what you Mm -hmm. pointed out by telling your story on the dad side and the mom side is what that looks like, what functional freezing can look like, what it looks like when you get pushback from your family, like you're talking about at the funeral. And and to remember that that's not for you, right? It's mm-hmm. like, that's their unprocessed, unhealed pain that they're going to have to work out. And you could see through that and keep it moving. So it's like being being disowned. And so listeners, if you experience that, know that's a part of breaking the silence because a part of how predatory patterns thrive, the only way they thrive is in silence culture. Yeah. They can't keep... They can't continue if we speak out um, because there is going to be somebody that doesn't also uh, manipulate and keep uh, keep silent. You just keep telling somebody else. They said that the average, you could Google this, they said the average child molester molests anywhere between 50 to 250 kids before they die because nobody's telling somebody. So me and my brother were my grandfather's victims, but we weren't the first. You know, we may have been the last, but we weren't the first. And so that's why you have to speak up because you don't tell on that uncle. You don't tell on that dad. You don't tell on that cousin. And now they have just a list of kids that they've harmed. Yeah. And then whole households, it's like, we'll know even the idea that you could keep a child away from a person. It's like you hear in families like, oh yeah, keep the person away from such and such uncle or such and such cousin. Yeah. In my community, there were pedophiles that were hidden because they didn't want their reputations to get ruined. So this type of language is not new, but until we start talking about it more, we start to hear those scenarios, which again, brings me back to your book. The scenarios are so important to bring into our imagination so we can be like, oh, yeah, oh, if you're at a friend's house and you see a strange person staring at you while you're changing into your bathing suit or, yeah, I mean, these different random, quote, random scenarios that aren't random at all, getting a picture taken of you and it can be you know, it's an older man and they're like, oh, you're just so pretty. I wanted to blah, 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 blah. And they come up with this thing. So it feels like it's no big deal, but your body knows it is. Mm -hmm. And you gave us a scenario, which then has not just the child, but also parents being able to reference scenarios so that kids have a coordinating point to come back to. Something happened and it was from the book. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I've had people you know, write me, oh, I got your book. And, you know, you said that the mouth is a private part, but that's not true. What about when my child goes to the doctor? Now they're not, I'm the dentist. Now they're not going to want the dentist to touch their mouth. And it's like, okay, like, first of all, the mouth is a private part because do you want somebody putting something in your child's mouth? No, you know, so that's why you teach your child. But then you further elaborate. Yeah, you, don't you need to have a conversation book. about the difference between the dentist, yeah, yeah. the difference between getting oral stimulation from yeah. U- Uncle John, you know, or yes, Johnny. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Somebody told me, well, you know, you didn't put enough scenarios. And it's like, you know, I can give you a book with 50 pages of scenarios. But again, it's simple because my goal is to, educate the two-year-old, the three-year-old, the four-year-old, the five-year-old, the young one, so that it doesn't continue until they're 13, 14 years old. And the only reason why it stopped is because the grandfather died. You know, it needs to be 
nipped in the bud head on. Some people write me, oh, well, this book is too easy. You want it to be too hard? You well, know? go ahead and write another one, you know, elaborate. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I go to preschools and yes, it may be too easy for a 10-year-old, but they get the concept. And now maybe they can think back to maybe a time when they were younger that one of those inappropriate things did happen. Someone right. told me, oh, $12 for your book, that's way too expensive. And it's like, okay, you can't put a price on if your child does come to you now, are you going to feel like that $12 was too expensive or was it worth it? You know? And if and I could it's give not, the it's a beautiful you. illustrated child's book. It's a beautiful book. So we're going to have the link in the show notes, uh, support this work. If you have a story and you haven't told somebody, please, please reach out to the website and uh, sh- learn how to share it with Alicia Barlow here. Um, I just think the work is brilliant, you know, the movement, but also I really didn't know about the children's book. And I think it's beautiful um, because again, the simplicity of really identifying private parts, it's so simple and yet it's so So important because, and I'm wondering if you can, because you, as we wrap up, I want you to kind of go back to the, you had mentioned, you know, the sexual abuse stopped, but then verbal abuse continued. So from as early as you can remember, let's just call it under three even and it could go all the way until six you tell somebody nothing happened and then at 13 you had mentioned sexual abuse stopped but verbal abuse continued and what I'm wondering about is what that actually looked like you did talk about him flashing you um so I'm assuming that you're starting to uh develop and so he's Mm -hmm. now grooming you in a different way because you are getting older and more developed. So he's doing sexual things with you and towards you, but in a different sort of manner, maybe not the physical touch. Yes. Yes. So like I said, it was the, um, what is the word? Is that voyeurism? Yeah. Flashing where he's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So flashing Mm -hmm. all the time, um, again, telling me, Oh, when you were younger, you told me that we could do this when you're 18, you told me we could do that. And it's like, I did not tell you that, you know, and now I'm scared. And what really bothers me is that every time he was able to verbally abuse me was when nobody was around, you know? And he's sexually so abusing you verbally. So he's actually yes. sexually abusing you, but with sexually words. With words, but nobody's around. Where are all these people at, you know? And then when you look back, maybe he stopped sexually abusing me because now he was sexually abusing my younger brother. And let me tell you the last thing that really hurt my feelings. I called my brother and he said, Alicia, I'm not really comfortable to tell you everything that happened. A lot of men, a lot of boys that are sexually abused by a man when they're younger, they grow up and they struggle with their sexuality because they were turned on by a man. um, And they don't like to talk about it. If you look at my stories on my pages, it's predominantly female. And I get really um, excited when I see a man finally share their story to see the bravery in it because not many men speak up. Um, And my brother said, I'm not ready to go into detail with you. I said, okay, well, just answer me one question. If I gave you a blank piece of paper, would you be able to fill it up on both sides of all the times that he abused you? And he said, yeah, that really hurt my feelings. And I said, did you ever tell anybody? And he said, yeah. And I said, who did you tell? And he said that when he went on a vacation to my aunt's house in Texas, when he was 11, he told her. 
the same aunt that I told when I was six, my younger brother came to again at age 11. And she told him to keep it a secret. And his abuse continued. I asked him, after you told, did your abuse continue? And he said, yes. So here's a second child that's come to you. How do you sleep at night? And I will say this. My mom and sister, my mom and her sister just told me that that same aunt just went to the doctor for stomach pains, and they told her that she had stage four cancer in her liver, in her legs, in her lungs, and other parts of her body. She's going through chemo now. I have forgiven her because, like I said, it was just a cycle that they couldn't break. Uh, people got mad at me when I forgave my family, and I tell people all the time, forgiveness is not for them. It's not saying that what they did was okay. It's saying that what they did, I'm not going to let destroy me. Forgiveness is for myself so that I can heal. So I did pray for my aunt. I prayed that God helped her with her cancer. But yes, when you harm a child, even if you're not the molester yourself, right. I believe that God comes with that karma. It says in the Bible for a woman like her, She's the only one in her family that believes in God. The rest of her family doesn't. And that's why I was always cussing God out. because My family never taught me about God. Mm. And for her to believe in God and still turn her deaf ear and blind eye to not one, but two children, you know, I believe her karma is coming. It says in the Bible that if you harm a child, that your uh, consequence, your punishment is going to be worse than being tied with stones and thrown into the ocean. So, um, you know, like I said, I pray for her and I, you know, I hope she makes through what she makes through, but you know what I'm saying? You have to do right by children, especially children that come to you about sexual abuse. Yeah. And the pain that we hold, if we don't metabolize it and heal, then it actually starts to eat us away and we blow that pain yeah. through our the people that we supposedly love. And that A shows nurse. up as dynamics, yeah. family dynamics that breed yeah. more pain. Yeah, yeah. Get a, I, I went through it. You need to get over it. Yeah, that's just pain. I saw her pain projecting. And a nurse actually told me that if you don't heal what's inside of you and you're always bitter, she said your body can actually produce cancer. Your, your body can actually give you cancer because you have so many emotions and traumas and negativity that you're not healing. Yeah, and inflammation too. You know, it's unprocessed, unmetabolized emotional experiences that densify, you know, they just mm -hmm. get more compact and more compact. And when we keep pretending that these things don't matter and we keep it silent, it's like, think about the, the process of that, right? It's swallowing. Think about how many secrets had to have been swallowed over how yeah, many decades. Right. Because right. it wasn't just me. It was all their life and everything that they went through. You yeah. know, and, and their children and like, who knows? So it's like when, when somebody yeah. gets, hears it, unconsciously they might keep it a, 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 at bay because they are, they're not even ready to start processing. It, it, it really, it's so odd to know that I even have family members like aunts and uncles and stuff that have remembered abuse, forgot it, you know, and my mom's a trauma survivor. So she's been the real vocal um, black sheep one. And so I've watched okay. this, these family dynamics and family mm -hmm. legacy money dynamics. And mm -hmm. what happens when we're consumed by the fear of not getting anything, right? Right. And, and the, the distortion and the manipulation that breeds in legacies where sexual abuse become and money ends up becoming a currency. My two aunts never had children. 
Good. So now that I'm older, <laughs> I always thought maybe it was because of their trauma. Maybe they knew that their dad was a child molester and they didn't want him touching their kids, you know? And here my mom is, 5'2", white woman with a 6'3", black man. I think she felt, you know, powerful with him. She felt he could protect her, you know? So I think that's what gave her the confidence to maybe have kids because she felt like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Yeah. And, and just the, the, the dynamics, how you're breaking that legacy. Um, and speaking to the, the men's sexual abuse, we've had a couple guests mm-hmm. come on speaking to, okay. to men's sexual abuse. So thank you for bringing that up. And, um, it happens far more to men than we know. And yeah. like you talked about the impact on men because, uh, biology is different, right? So there's this mm-hmm. external turn on and when you're being abused, it doesn't mean you like it. It just means your biology is responding. And, but that early, it, it's so convoluted. So it's convoluted for all of us. Um, but the added social and, and cultural dynamic of, of not having any space for men to talk about, it just, it makes me happy that I've read several men's stories on your uh, Instagram feed. And um, it is encouraging to see more and more men start breaking the, the silence culture of of what that means in the confusion of their own sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I actually, my, my grandmother, she's in an old folks home now she has dementia, so she doesn't remember a lot, but right before she went, I told her that her husband sexually abused me as a child. That was like the last part of my healing because that's his wife, you know, that's who he lived with. That's the only way he was able to abuse me was when she was gone Uh, My grandmother never had a job. She was a housewife. So it's like, now that you're older, you look back like, well, did my grandma know? Did she leave on purpose? Was he giving her money? Like, oh, here's $2,000, go shopping, you know? And now like she knew, but I told her and she said, you know, I never knew. And she said, I wish on his deathbed, he would have, you know, admitted it to me. Um, But they told me that my grandfather was molested when he was a child by a stranger at a park and if his dad was molesting his kids he might have even been molested by his dad you know so you just don't even know how far up the family tree that goes but I know with how normalized my family made it I know it probably goes way up top so in my immediate family my mother was molested my older brother my younger brother my dad and me that's everybody. everybody. So if that's how my family is, I know there's a lot of other families out there like that too. That's right. And lastly, I just want to circle back to what you had mentioned in your own personal story of realizing that it's not just one demographic of this age mm-hmm. group, old white man. It's not just grandpa that's this type. It's in all cultures. It's all, it's not just wealthy families. Um, mm-hmm. that get inheritances and control people with right. money. It's it's also all economic classes. It's all, it's just everywhere. And it it's symptomatic of a much larger cultural dynamic that isn't protecting children, that hasn't been protecting children or the land or indigenous people. Like there's a, a culture of this distortion that's become normalized that we just kind of pass on as if it's just nothing we can do about it. Right. <laughs> and we can, and you're proving that. And we that. can, and it's, it's through education. 
because the first time my grandfather touched me, if I would have said, hey, you're not allowed to do that. My mom and dad told me these are my private areas. And if someone touches me there, I got to tell. Do you think he would have did it again if he knew I was going to go home and tell my dad that day? No. So it's all through education. And it's not just men. There's female abusers also. It's not just adults. There's teenagers. There's also children. When I was in kindergarten, my mom told me that I got expelled from three different preschools. Do you know how bad you have to be to be expelled from three different preschools? That was me acting out because I was going through sexual abuse and trauma at home. So it opened my eyes to now when I see a kid, it's not, oh, why is that kid acting so bad? Why is he yelling so loud? Why is he hitting? What if that kid's going through trauma at home and that's the only way they know how to act it out? When I was in kindergarten, my teacher said that I actually lifted my shirt up and I was rubbing stomachs with another little kid behind the school, which is something sexual. Kids imitate what they've been taught. So even if it's not your grandfather, it could be a little cousin or a kid at school just imitating what they learned from home. So it's just all about education. It's about does your kid know how to protect themselves and speak up? That's right. That's how we nip it in the bud. That's right. And we don't wait to heal to start teaching that. We just start talking about it. We just start talking yeah. about it. Um, yeah. You made so many good points around all the dynamics. So women, women are often abusers of young boys and, and young men. And let's not mistake because men are not the only predators. Really good point. Um, and then also children to children, right? And oftentimes children that are being abused will then sometimes innocently, you'll be over playing over and you don't know, you're just repeating what has been happening to you. Yeah. But if adults are more aware, which leads me back more to aware. say your father, right? Like he must've mm -hmm. like felt so heavy that he didn't notice. Right. And he did. He his felt own like it was his fault. He felt like it was his fault. And he actually cried and told me, I'm sorry, I failed you. And I told him it wasn't him that failed me. It was my mom because she's the one that knew. He felt like he failed me because he didn't see the signs. And that's yeah, another thing that. that I'm um, trying to teach parents too is the signs, you know, yes. bedwetting, being afraid of the dark, um, not wanting to hug a certain family member, not wanting to go over a certain family member's house. We always see, oh, your family's leaving. Go give your uncle a hug. Go give your grandfather a kiss. You don't want to go, you know? And it's actually stepping back like, why doesn't my kid like being around uncle or grandfather and asking them? People are saying, well, how do I know? Just go ask them. Why do you have to wait for them to come to you? Yes, <laughs> go. Yes. Yeah. It's normalizing. I just, I feel such a, a relief of the normalization of, of noticing, right? Because we really are yeah. talking about noticing the symptoms are there. Like you talked about you acting out in three different preschools. Like we don't have the language when we're ch children, but we do have expressions and we're looking for signs of safety. We're looking for an island of safety. Um, so I love how you're teaching the parents and also how you're teaching the children to know and recognize because there is always a sense of what's right and wrong. You just don't know. Mm -hmm. And you're looking around to your adult caretakers, whether that's a teacher or a babysitter to see, is there a reaction? Should I react? And we need healthy adults that are like, yes, if this happens, it's absolutely always safe. Where are all the healthy adults at? Where are they at? 
Oh my gosh, it's oh so mind-boggling to me. But I understand because, like I said, all the generations above us were taught what happens in this house stays in this house. And I'm just right. hoping that the generations below are just right. like, no, like we're no we're speaking up. My dad told me before he died, I have a video of him. He was wearing a Tell Somebody shirt. And he just told me two things. He told me, one, to tell all people to tell your parents. Um because how I first started to tell somebody, a girl wrote me and told me that she was abused by her uncle, but she didn't want to tell her dad because he only had six months to live. He had cancer and she didn't want to tell her mom because her mom had brain aneurysm, which means if she gets stressed out, she could die. So I told her, oh, well, don't tell them then because I didn't want her to tell. And then one of her parents gets so stressed, they die because I thought that guilt would be on me. And I told my dad that and he said, I'm sorry, but you told her the wrong advice. He said, even on my deathbed, I would want to know what happened to my children. And he said, you have a four-year-old daughter. If she were being abused, wouldn't you want her to tell you? And I said, yeah, I would need her to tell me. So the first message was to tell your parents, whether you think it's going to hurt them or cause a scene, or you have to tell them because even on their deathbed, they would want to know. And he also told me to never stop bringing awareness because he said somebody has to do it. Yes. You know, and it's like somebody has to do it. And the last thing is one night I was sleeping and like God woke me up at 6 a.m. And he was like, go write Oprah Winfrey. And I was like, OK, I looked at my phone. I said, it's six. Oprah's up. Like, you know, she's a millionaire, but she's up. So I went to her Instagram page and I just wrote her real quick. I said, hey, my name's Alicia Barlow. Mark my words, one day me and you are going to work together in the future. I'm a survivor of abuse. So, you know, Oprah's also a survivor of sexual abuse. And I said, you know, I just can't wait, you know, for whatever work we could do. And then I laid back down. And like five minutes later, I just couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. And I picked up my phone and Oprah actually wrote me back. And she said, Alicia, I just want to tell you that you're the perfect role model for turning pain into power. And so that's the quote actually on my memoir. I don't have my memoir with me, but I have a memoir called In Silence Abuse Tell Somebody. And I always tell people, Oprah told me that, but I'm telling all of you guys, you are all the perfect example of turning pain into power. Like anybody can do that. So, wow. And what's the name yeah. of your memoir? Um, it's called In Silence Abuse Tell In Somebody. Silence. In Silence so Abuse. Okay. Yeah, if you go on um, Amazon and just type in Alicia Barlow, it'll just come up with both the books. But yeah, in silence to be tell somebody. Well, I'm going to put both names of the books in the show notes. So we want to make sure okay. that it's easy for people to um, get direct links to the book. Uh, your website's in there already. Um, but support this work. Alicia, uh, Alicia Barlow's Please. work is at um, tellsomebodytoday.com. On Instagram, tell somebody movement, and on Facebook, it's time to tell somebody. Mm -hmm. So, if you didn't know, that's what's going on. <laughs> you need to keep telling somebody until something changes. Um, and last thing, my please. mom actually did wear a tell somebody shirt recently, and she did a video for me, and she actually did a message to other adults, and she said, "If a child has came to you." whether it's recently or in the past, it's never too late to not only apologize, but to do something about it. You can change what you did moving forward. Mm. So yeah. Never too late to heal, to apologize mm. and to start metabolizing our pain because mm -hmm. we're, we're never too, too old for this mm -hmm. so that we don't pass it on. Right. So we don't pass it right. on. 
and our silence right. does pass it on. So that's the message mm-hmm. here. Keeping silent passes it on. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, it doesn't go away. It just compacts and makes it more available for it to carry on. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your work. Um, thank you for your courage, your voice, and yeah, just for being you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having a platform to be able to share my story. Just like I, I share people's story on my platform to be able to come on yours. Like my dad said, somebody has to do it. Somebody has to bring awareness and we are those people. So thank you. Absolutely. I always have guests bring a song and we can't play the whole song for copyright purposes. I'd like (laughs) to add each song to a playlist. So you can listen to a playlist of all the episodes on Spotify, which the link is in the uh, show notes as well. Uh, But tell us why you chose your song. Um, I chose Tupac, Keep Your Head Up, because um, it just, when I first started Tell Somebody, um, two weeks after I shared my story, I wrote the local news and I told them what I was doing. And they wrote me back and said they wanted to come do a story about me. So before my dad died, we were able to um, get a news segment. Um, I threw a barbecue for other survivors. And um, it just, like when I heard that song, it just really like motivated me and uplifted me to keep my head up because there's so many times in life where, you know, you're stressed, depressed, just over regular things like the bills not being paid to where you're like down and out. So to add trauma and child abuse and whatever else, like there's a lot of times where you can lose faith and um, feel like your life is worthless, feel like you're worthless. And sometimes you just need that reminder, like to pick your head up, like there's better days coming, like you're a diamond and keep going, like keep shining bright. Yes, yes, and more of that. So here we go, we got a little sample here of Keep Your Head Up. Some say the blacker the better, the sweeter the juice. I say the darker the flesh and the deeper the roots. I give my honor to my sister's own welfare. Tupac kids, if don't nobody else care. And uh, I know they like to beat you down a lot. When you come around the block, brothers clown a lot. But please don't cry, dry your eyes, never let up. Forgive, but don't forget, girl, keep your head up. And when he tells you you ain't nothing, don't believe him. And if you can't learn to love you, you should leave him. Cause sister, you don't need And I ain't trying to gas you up, I just call him how I see. You know what makes me unhappy? that brothers make babies and leave a young mother to be right, folks, you can listen to the whole thing on the playlist. Look for the show notes to be able to get that link to Pac. Always bringing it to us. Um, All right. Well, thank you for such a brilliant episode. Thank you also just for educating and for uh, having a book that we can buy and share and pass on to children. I think it's just so exciting. And uh, be sure to check out um, her IG and read some of the other stories. It is so, so inspiring. And remember, if you're a survivor of sexual abuse, um, it's okay to not be ready to speak out. Just start listening listening to other people's stories because there's a reason that that it's not safe and it's a process to learn how to begin to trust ourselves um, and to trust the world in which we're coming up in and so sometimes we just have to voyeur right we have to listen from a distance and realize there are other survivors that are speaking out things that have happened to others might have happened to you and 
there's some sort of weird camaraderie in that that says, oh my God, I'm not alone. Um, so over the last couple of years, as I've learned, wow, I'm a CPTSD survivor. I'm a cult survivor. I'm all these things. I found other people that were too. And suddenly I, I suddenly felt a little belonging. And there, that happens in being a, a sexual abuse survivor as well. It's a weird place to find connection and yet to know that the things that are totally horrific and distorted and twisted are not because of you. And there are other people that also have distorted and twisted stories. And we get to listen and realize that we're not alone out here. And as Alicia shared with us today, the burden is so powerful to be released when you do tell somebody, when it is safe enough to do that, even if it's a complete stranger that you write into. And so that's why your work, Alicia, is, is so brilliant because we might have grown up not ever learning safety and it might not feel safe to speak out even to yourself, even to write it down. And we're all here to encourage and to support because it's not your secret to hold. Yeah, amen. Thank you for listening, folks. And um, be sure to tune in to our future episodes. Link into the link and support this work. Tell somebody movement today.com. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Uncomfortable Conversations on Predators in Business, Community, and Culture. If you need support beyond this listening space, you can connect with me at gurunishan.com. I'm a writer, speaker, and trauma healing activist, offering free and paid resources, online courses, and consulting in personal and professional reinvention. If you'd like to be a guest and share your story, please email me at gn at gurunishan.com or check the show notes for details. Please also like, subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with someone that you love. Please remember your listening and sharing support is greatly appreciated. The information presented in this podcast are for general educational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed are solely the views of the individuals involved. By listening, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Nothing in this podcast is intended to replace the services of a trained therapist, doctor, or health professional, or otherwise to substitute for professional mental health, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Guru Nishan LLC and affiliate organizations shall under no circumstances be liable to any listener of the podcast or viewer for any action or inaction on your part as a result of the content you consume on this podcast or for any adverse reaction, including any emotional distress you experience as a result of consuming this podcast.